This morning, we continue our sermon series called Blessed to be a Blessing. Last week, we read the story of Lot escaping from the city of Sodom, and this week, the focus returns back to Abraham. So, the first reading is from Genesis chapter 20, from verses 1 to 18. That's on page 25 of the Pew Bibles. Genesis chapter 20, from verse 1. Now, Abraham moved on from there, and into the region of the Negev, and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his. Fi- Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, "What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done." And Abimelech asked Abraham, "What was your reason for doing this?" Abraham replied. I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now we continue on from verse chapter 21, from verse 22, over on page 27, from verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me, or my children, or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I only heard about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Except these seven ewe 
seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that, so that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Now we turn over to the New Testament, from the 1 Timothy, which is on page 1690. 1 Timothy chapter 2, just from verses 1 to 6. Page 1690. From chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Thanks. Well, will you please uh, please turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21? No, Genesis chapter 20, which is on page page 25, chapter 20, page 25. And we'll pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about your word which we have just heard, I pray that you will equip us to live lives in response to your grace and your goodness and your kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me, let me start with a question for you to think about. Do you most naturally confront the world or cooperate with the world? To give some examples, here's an example of confronting the world. It's when you, it's when you speak against injustice or when you argue back against things that you believe to be false. On the other hand, we cooperate with the world when we go to work, when we pay taxes, when we join with our neighbours in our sporting team or on our holidays or however that is. And and surely, okay, when you think about it like that, there is a time to confront and a time to cooperate. Maybe depending on your personality and your background, you'll be most comfortable in one one stance or the other. Now, last time we were in this book of Genesis, we looked at chapter 19. And uh, remember chapter 19 was very much a confrontation between God and the city of Sodom. Well, this morning we're looking at chapter, well, the whole of chapter 20 and the end part of chapter 21. And today's passage is an interesting one. It might be the least well-known part of Abraham's life. 
In the booklet that we've been using in our small group Bible studies, the booklet just skips over these chapters entirely. But I actually think this story of Abraham and Abimelech, I think this actually provides an important balance to the story about Lot and the city of Sodom that we did last time. And this morning I've got three lessons for us to think through, three lessons that come out of these chapters. Here's the first one. The first lesson is, if I can have the the slide, the first lesson is it is possible for us to live in unnecessary fear and suspicion of the world. See, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham is on the move. Uh, Perhaps it was the whole destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah Uh, which was not so far from him, like perhaps that affected the environment or the economy where Abraham had been. So he moves further away from that area. He moves to this new place called Gerar. And it's not a big move. It's maybe 50 kilometers maximum, but it's far enough to bring Abraham into the territory of a different king. There's this guy that we know here as Abimelech. And when Abraham and Abimelech come into contact, Abraham does that old thing of introducing Sarah as his sister rather than his wife. And Sarah ends up getting taken into Abimelech's household. Now, you might think, what's going on here? Isn't, isn't Sarah, uh, is she, isn't she a bit old for that kind of thing? Well, we don't know. First of all, we don't know how old Abimelech was. And, well, let's not forget, in our time, we've got, you know, Emmanuel Macron, president of France. Um, he married a 64-year-old woman when he was 39. So it doesn't seem that age is such an issue. Abimelech probably thinks, if I marry Abraham's sister, then I can build an alliance with this new wealthy neighbor of mine. But what was Abraham thinking? Why didn't Abraham just say, hey, hey, guys, guys, don't take her away. This is actually my wife. Well, Abraham explains in chapter 20, verse 11. Abraham replied, I said to myself, oh, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Do you see the, the fear and the suspicion It's unnecessary fear and suspicion, as it turns out. Because as soon as Abimelech finds out that, hang on a minute, Sarah is a married woman, he wants to give her back. He wants to make things right. Abimelech turns out to be much more noble than Abraham expected. Which is interesting, because as you read through this, Abimelech... He doesn't seem to be a worshipper of the true and living God. But he is willing to treat Abraham decently. Don't you think we can sometimes have unnecessary fear and suspicion of the world around us? I don't know if you've ever had the thought that, oh, hang on, if, if I let, if I let the people at work know that I'm a follower of Jesus, and if I if I talk about the like my involvement in church, they'll probably laugh at me, and I'll have no friends. And 
I mean, occasionally you find people who react badly when you talk about your faith. But actually, a lot of the time, people are quite respectful. Just because they aren't believers doesn't mean that they're out to get you. Same with our government. There are, there are a few loud anti-Christian voices in different parts of our government, but there's actually also plenty of people who think that the church has a role to play in our nation. It's interesting to compare Abraham with his nephew Lot. Do you remember Lot in the previous chapters? Lot was, Lot was maybe a bit naive about the city of Sodom. Remember, remember Lot, he, he, first of all, he moved close to Sodom and he sort of, so it's sort of like he said to himself, oh, look, it's, it's, it's okay, it's, it's not that bad and hey, my, my wife likes the place and sure, I don't agree with everything but no worries, my, my, my daughters can marry into the city. What, what could possibly go wrong? See, it wasn't till right at the end that Lot found himself in this situation where he was confronting the people of Sodom and saying, don't do this wicked thing. But, but then it's interesting to compare Lot, Lot who was naive, with Abraham, who, who was maybe a bit too cynical. See, Abraham always lived in the hills. Abraham always tried to keep his distance from the cities. He thinks that most of them are bad places full of dangerous people. And so it's interesting that by the end of chapter 21, Abraham is making a treaty with King Abimelech. And so we need wisdom. Not everything in our society is like Sodom. There are Abimelechs that we can cooperate with. And we need wisdom to recognise which is which. That's the first lesson. A second lesson from this passage is that we must always remember that God's great purpose is to bring blessing to the world through his people. I mean, our sermon series, remember our sermon series is called Blessed to be a Blessing because when the story of Abraham starts, it starts with God saying, Hey, Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. The immediate problem with Abraham telling this lie about his wife is that it brings Abimelech in danger of God's judgment. Have a look at chapter 20, verse 3. God says... Hey, Abimelech, you are as good as dead. And we've, we've thought about this before. Um, Abraham won't be a blessing by letting himself be driven by fear instead of faith. However, God's purpose is that despite Abraham's weakness and Abraham's fear, God's purpose is that this story is not going to end up with judgment on Abimelech. God intervenes. God speaks to Abimelech in a dream. And have a look at chapter 20, verse 7. God says, Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. God's saying, right at this moment, as things are, you're as good as dead. 
But if he prays for you, you will live. Which is exactly what happens. Uh, verses 17 and 18 at the end of the chapter. Hey, isn't, that, isn't this a good reminder for us to pray for our city? Pray for the leaders of our city? I mean, that's what we read about in the New Testament reading. First Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. God's purpose, God's ultimate purpose is to bless the world. But you notice, how's God doing it here? He's doing it through the prayers of his people. So what about you? Are you remembering to pray for our city and its leaders? It's so easy for, I mean, we've got so much going on in our own lives that our prayers can be all curved in on ourselves and our own issues and our own challenges. And yes, whatever we're struggling with in our individual life, bring that before God. God is interested in our individual struggles, but but God also wants us to have a broader vision, a vision of his grand purposes beyond ourselves. I've spoken before about um, a revival that happened in our city of Melbourne back in the year 1902. Uh, In 1902, over a period of four weeks, something like eight and a half thousand people committed their lives to Christ. Here's a Picture of people gathering to hear the gospel in the middle of the day in Melbourne Town Hall. And, and, and this revival had like a long-term impact in our city. So there are things that are still around today, like, like the Melbourne School of Theology over in Juan Turner or the Belgrave Heights Convention. Um, so many things that, that actually were, were born out of this revival. And actually the, this, this revival that happened in Melbourne, the, the waves of what happened here were felt all around the world. Um, it's a long story, but, but news of what was happening in Melbourne in 1902, news reached England and encouraged the Christians there. And, and, and it was some of the Christians who were encouraged by what happened in Melbourne who, uh, who then were part of a huge revival that happened in Wales in 1904 where something like 100,000 people came to Christ. Um, And the Welsh police talked about how they found that they had not very much to do because the the crime rate had dropped so significantly. So the Welsh police decided to come and join in the the hymns and the prayers and everything. And And then from there, that led to other revivals in parts of America and Korea and East Africa. And and at the time, there's, there's people noting, hey, this started in Melbourne. There were people back in England going, this, this started at the ends of the earth. What a, you know, what a strange thing for God to do. Now that's obviously a long time ago and we need, we need another revival. We need God to move by his spirit again in our city. But it's, it's interesting to see, well, how did Melbourne become this place of blessing to the world? And you can actually trace it back. 13 years earlier than this, when a Presbyterian minister named John McNeil 
said to four of his colleagues, you know what, we need to get together and pray for Victoria. And they began praying for our state and ministers from other denominations joined them. And more and more prayer groups started up all around Melbourne until by the time of the revival there were about 1,700 different prayer meetings happening in Victoria, praying, asking God to bless our city. Others are saying, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Only the Spirit of God can bring people who are as good as dead into new life. And yet when God works, so often he he works and he brings his blessing through the prayers of his people. That's what's happening here. Let's get on to the third lesson from our passage. An important part of our witness is to build trust and goodwill with our world. See, as we we get to the next chapter, chapter 21, we see that Abimelech actually wants to have a good relationship with Abraham. Uh, chapter 21 verse 1 he he recognized sorry chapter 21 verse 22 chapter 21 verse 22 Abimelech recognizes hey Abraham God is with you in everything you do he can see Abraham is blessed by God and he's going I, I want to be on your side and he wants Abraham to be honest with him cuz he says now swear to me before God, that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. It's a little bit sad when the outsider has to ask the man of God, could you please be honest and kind? But I guess their relationship didn't get off to a very good start, did it? It started with a lie. So Abraham says, yes, okay, I promise. But hey, if, if you really want me to be honest, there, there is a problem. See, your guys came and took one of the wells that I dug. I mean, if you think about it, you, you don't really trust someone until you've got to that point where you're willing to bring up whatever issues are between you. And, and so trust Trust has to be built up gradually. It takes time to figure out, is, is this a person who really does have goodwill towards me or is this just a person who's being polite or even a bit devious? I wonder how we're going, building up trust among ourselves. And there's a, then there's our city. I mean, isn't it true that... So many people in our city have been hurt or offended or mistreated by people in churches. It's something that I need to remember when when I'm at the shops, when I'm down at the footy club, wherever I am, that I, that we are ambassadors of Christ. There was a a Belgian Catholic guy named uh, Domino Peer who won the Nobel Peace Prize for helping refugees during World War II. And in his speech, when he accepted this Nobel Peace Prize, he said, men build too many walls and not enough 
bridges. Uh, an important part of our mission is to rebuild trust and goodwill by being people of honesty and kindness. And if someone brings up a problem, we need to be willing to listen. Anyway, in, in our passage, Abraham sees that, yeah, Abimelech is willing to listen. He sees that Abimelech doesn't get defensive, rather he promises to do something. And so Abraham is convinced. In verse 27, it says the two men made a treaty. In fact, in the Hebrew language, the wording's a bit stronger. It says the two men made a covenant. Remember how important covenants have been in the life of Abraham. Abraham and Abimelech are committing to living at peace with one another. And I want you to notice how the chapter ends. What does Abraham do? Genesis chapter 21, verse 33. He plants a tree. Here's a picture of a tamarisk tree. It's a place of shade and rest. Obviously, Abraham's tree is going to take quite a while to get that big. But Abraham plans to hang around for quite a while. This tree is a place of rest where Abraham will call on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Abraham has made peace with the local people. He's free to stay in this region. It's kind of like, here, Abraham, we've given you the PR. But what's Abraham going to do with the peace and the stability that he has? He's going to worship God. Freedom is freedom to worship. And actually, again, to go back to our New Testament reading in 1 Timothy, when it says that we should pray for those in authority over us, what reason does it give? What's the goal? Well, 1 Timothy 2.2, so it's, I urge that we pray for all these people, including kings, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness, and this is good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. If, if we want to build bridges, then our prayer and desire is that the gospel will cross over those bridges. When we pray for our city, when we seek to have good relationships with those around us, it's not... It's not just so they'll like us or so that we can be popular and so that people will be nice to us. It's, no, it's, it's so that we can worship God freely and we can enjoy the peace that we have with God and we can live a life of witness and truth about Jesus and be open in our witness to the world. See, the truth about Jesus, the message we have, it's a message of peace. A message of peace with God, peace with each other. Our hope is a hope of peace for the world. Over the years, I've had a number of Muslims and Hindus and even Aussies who have said to me, hey, when I came to this place, I felt a peace. Well, if, if, there's, if there's peace 
here among us in this place, then at the heart of that peace is the fact that Jesus, by his death on the cross, brings us peace with God. On the cross, everything, everything that could come between us and God, all our inner darkness, all our outward actions, all our mistreatment of others, all our dishonesty, all of our unfounded fears, all of that was taken on by Jesus at the cross. And his death on the cross means all of that stuff was taken down into the grave, left there, dealt with, the price is paid. Our stuff is no longer a cause of tension and separation and conflict between us and God. And so through the risen Jesus, we can come before God and have peace and find rest in his presence. We can, it's like we can sit under that tree as we worship God. Of course, this peace, this peace is not for us only. This peace is for anyone who's willing to embrace Jesus and come to the Father through him. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're feeling a bit like Abraham did. There's a bit of fear. You're not sure? Is this, a, is this a safe place for me? My prayer for you is that you will experience God's trustworthiness, God's kindness, and that you will find true peace through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have found that peace in Jesus through his death on the cross, today's passage is a reminder. Well, first of all, let's, let's not let ourselves be driven by fear of others. Instead, let's, let's ask God for wisdom to, 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 to recognize who are the people we can trust. How can we, how can we relate well and build the right kind of bridges to our world? Today's passage is a reminder to pray, to pray for our suburb, to pray for our city, to pray for our nation, to pray for our world, to pray that God will pour out his blessing, just as he's told us he intends to do, to pray that God will hold back the forces of evil. Back here God said, "I, I stopped you from doing anything evil. To pray that... God will enable us to live in peace with those around us so that we can get on with worshipping him and inviting our nation into the eternal peace that we have through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for those times where we've given into fear. Instead, we ask that you will use us as agents of your blessing. We pray for this suburb of Reservoir. We pray that you'll pour out your kindness and that you will hold back evil and that you'll enable this place to prosper physically and spiritually. Please enable us to build bridges of trust and goodwill with our neighbours. And out of this, please bring opportunities for people to come and meet Jesus and to receive the peace that he offers. 
Father, we pray that you will do a great work in Melbourne again, not for our glory, but for the glory of your name. Amen.